This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Chances are you or someone you know is working from home these days. As record numbers of adults, especially those earning higher salaries, now work full-time from home. Two challenges, technical issues, and less innovation. It's quite an incredible number. We currently have around 32% of Americans are working from home full-time. Before the pandemic, that was 2%. Then, U.S. states are facing the biggest cash crisis since the Great Depression, leading to serious cuts in spending. States do have balanced budget requirements. So in general, you do see states making large cuts in response to any revenue shortfalls that they're experiencing. Those two stories and more are ahead on this week's Info Track. Stay with us. It all gets underway right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. The number of people working full-time from home has grown dramatically, despite the technical limitations. With more, here's InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Joining us now is Nick Bloom, Stanford University professor and co-director of the Productivity, Innovation, and Entrepreneurship Program at the National Bureau of Economic Research. He's out with a new report on the effects of working from home. Professor, before we discuss your specific findings, what percentage of the U.S. workforce is now working remotely? Well, it's quite an incredible number. We currently have around 32% of Americans are working from home full-time. So to give you some sense of, you know, how incredible that is, before the pandemic, that was 2%. It's a little bit down from the peak. So back in May, it was 42%. That's a 20-fold increase. We've fallen a bit, but we're still massively above what we saw, obviously, before the pandemic broke out. And let's take the problems you've found one at a time. Are most Americans technically able to work at home with good enough computers and internet connections? Uh, well, you know, depends what you uh, call good enough internet. So 85% of people have internet connectivity that kind of works. Basically, you can check websites. But if you actually are more demanding and say, can you actually run a, a video call? Can you have, you know, a Zoom meeting? then that drops down to 70% because there's a group that kind of has flaky internet. If you imagine, for example, if you're running it through your cell phone, can you run a Zoom meeting? I mean, maybe if you're on 5G, but if you're on 4G and it's kind of low bars. So roughly two thirds of Americans have good enough internet to be effectively perfect most of the time. I mean, enough to operate, but one third either have none or kind of patchy. That means they can collect data, but they can't really run meetings. So what happens to these people? Are they just shut out of meetings? I mean, yes, I should point out, it's not just the people themselves that are working. Of course, it's their kids. We're hearing horror stories of people, you know, trying to work from home with three kids sharing one cell phone connection. So, yes, they struggle to work effectively from home. They miss meetings. They don't perform as well. They miss on promotions. It turns out, of course, if you look at the data, you see the kind of parts of the country that have patchy Internet are rural parts and poor urban parts. So some inner cities either don't have good provision or in fact you know it's hard to know who's responsible but people haven't paid for it so poor households often can't afford broadband and so they're relying on their cell phones and you've reported work at home can produce less innovation why is that 
Well, I think work at home is a bit of a double-edged sword. So I'm very much in favour of where I, where I think we're all heading post-pandemic, which is for those of us that can work from home, it's looking like we'll be allowed to do it two days a week and come into the office three days a week. The problem is right now, most of us, you know, me included, for example, are working from home five days a week. And that is problematic if you do that week in, week out, month in, month out, because you really miss out on those interpersonal connections. So, you know, if you talk to CEOs, you know, the late Steve Jobs was very famous for this saying, look, new ideas and creativity, that comes from water cooler chat. And if you're holding us at home month in, month out, by now, you know, eight months into the pandemic, it really starts to make it harder to come up with new ideas and be creative. And also, of course, be inspired and kind of motivated by what you're doing. But why can't the collaboration on Zoom work just as well? After all, people can see each other. They can see those body motions and their facial expressions. You know, I think there's two issues. One is, as Mark Zuckerberg stated very early on, Zoom is a little bit transactional. So, you know, we log in when the meeting starts and then we log off when it ends. And if you think of being in the office, I, you know, I used to have multiple meetings every day in the office. I'd often curse them. But when I look back, I realized that a lot of what got done was walking into the room or waiting for people to join when I was having a chat with my neighbor on the side or walking out, you know, grabbing someone afterwards and chatting for 10 minutes in the corridor. So, A, it's very transactional, and B, we're also missing those kind of chats that we have over lunch or coffee. So you know, I, I have four kids, so I'm loving seeing my kids over lunch and you know my breaks. But on the other hand, I'm not spending those lunches with my colleagues, and a lot of new ideas and creativity comes from that kind of thing, and that more social interaction is being missed out. And you've reported that employees who work at home can fall victim to depression. Do you have a sense of how widespread that is? I don't have data on it beyond you see a lot of anecdotes. I can tell you one fact, actually, related to this. So back in 2010, I did a big randomized control trial of working from home in China. And we basically got 500 volunteers. We randomized them on an even or odd birthday as to who got to work from home. And we studied them for nine months. And at the end of the nine months, we asked the people that had been lucky enough to be selected to work from home and they wanted to continue and half of them had changed their minds so they were much more productive and getting paid more at home and you know saving on the obvious commute costs and time but half of them said you know it's so lonely working from home i'm getting really depressed i have to come into the office so based on that study i wouldn't be surprised if you know half of americans right now are desperate to get back into work at least say two three days a week to see their colleagues and for some of them that's gonna manifest itself in quite serious mental health issues, depression, etc. We're discussing the effects of working from home with Nick Bloom, Stanford University professor and co-director of the Productivity Innovation and Entrepreneurship Program at the National Bureau of Economic Research. Professor, you did mention the stay-at-home model producing greater economic inequality. What does happen to the career opportunities of those who just cannot work from home? I think the biggest issue, this is short and a long run issue. So in the short run, the issue is very clear that if you do the type of job that can work from home, so typically a professional or a manager, I mean, someone like honestly me or you or maybe most of your listeners that work with, say, computers or graduates, you can mostly work from home, not entirely, but mostly. If on the other hand, you have the type of job that, say, working in a shop or working in a factory or say a cleaner or a gardener, you honestly can't do those jobs mostly working from home. So under the pandemic, either you had to go into the workplace and face some uh, often increased risk of COVID, 
or you just lost your job. And we've seen that the types of jobs that people can't work from home in entertainment, leisure, travel, you know, they've seen massive job losses. In the short run, it's clearly a problem. In the longer run, the issue is slightly more complicated, which is when we survey people, they say, look, post-pandemic, the kind of world we're looking at, which is getting to work from home for two days a week is really valuable. I really like it. And in fact, in the surveys we've been running, we've surveyed two and a half thousand Americans, say 20 to 64 per month for a while now. They say that kind of lifestyle, being able to work from home for two days a week is worth something like 10 to 12 percent of their salary. So it's a very very valuable perk, much like, say, medical care or, you know, a generous pension. Now, we know that's going to go again to post-pandemic, the types of higher-end, more educated, higher-paying jobs. So in the long run, it's not that that's a bad thing. It's obviously a very good thing. We're allowing people to work from home, but we have to be aware that not everyone's getting it. Roughly half of Americans are likely to see that benefit, and they tend to be overwhelmingly educated, college-educated higher earning and the other half of Americans that are, you know, much more likely to be a high school graduates but have not gone to university are not getting that benefit. How would you look into the future and see the work at home model affecting suburbs and rural areas? So I think this is going to have a pretty massive impact. I mean, in the sense that the three big impacts of working from home, two of them we've covered. One is it's going to likely to raise effectively inequality. That's bad. On the good side, employees love it, and it turns out to be more productive for firms if we can do it, say, two days a week. So that's one positive. The other positive, I think, is actually going to rebalance our cities, suburbs, and rural areas. So working from home will do, and already is, leading to a big exodus out of large U.S. cities. So New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, seeing a big movement out into suburbs and you know rural areas further away now i actually think that's a really good thing it's pushing down on rents and apartment prices so i live near san francisco and my friend next door actually owns an apartment he's left but his apartment's still there and he said rents are down a third so that i think is a very positive move because it's helping to address the affordability crisis so that's helping to rebalance things a bit it's definitely not the case that cities are going to collapse you know cities have been on an upswing since 1980 and it's going to maybe mean cities are as expensive as they were say in 2000 rather than 2019 so they're going to come relatively a bit cheaper you know you can get a slightly bigger apartment for your money it's a bit less dense but it's still the case that cities are going to be more expensive just it's not as extreme and you know the crippling affordability crisis we're seeing in san francisco and new york etc where many people just simply couldn't afford to live in those cities will be pushed back a bit professor nick bloom of stanford university thank you so much for joining us today thank you very much for having me for InfoTrack, i'm gina tedesco Next, how U.S. states are dealing with a financial shortfall. That story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. 